great to see all of you today. Great to see all of you in the atrium. We have people in the cafe, people uh, just outside the front doors. We have a whole bunch of people at home on this live stream. So just a heads up, in two weeks, we're going to have two services, 9 and 10.30 here, so we can get people into the auditorium itself. And we'll continue the live stream, so nobody's going to miss everything. There's a way to get connected. Now then, think back with me for a minute. When I was in high school, people would ask me this. What are you going to do? You remember that kind of question? Or maybe you're in a state of transition right now. Somebody says, well, what are you going to do with your life? What's next? I hated that question. Because if you're a student, you don't know what you're going to do yet. But everybody's asking you, what are you going to do? What's your major going to be? I didn't have any idea. It was kind of like a blank slate for me as well. And here's why. Because I would always feel, I'd always feel inadequate. I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. What are you going to do for a career? Well, I don't know what I'm going to do for a career. And it was just, a, you know, made me feel inadequate. So I finally decided I was going to go to college. And I didn't know what I was going to major in. And I just picked uh, engineering because my brother was an engineer. I thought my cousins is kind of a family thing. So, And then I thought, oh, I have a goal. This is my goal. I'm going to become an engineer. I'm going to make lots of money. I'm going to own three houses. I'm going to own my normal house. I'm going to own a house in the mountains, and then I'm going to own a house in Europe. I know, you're laughing. I had big goals, right? They're kind of dumb, but th those were my goals. And then my other goal was I wanted a sports car. I didn't know what kind. Oh, I did. Trans Am T-Top. Some of you don't even know what to be older for that. But anyway, just a sports car, right? I wanted to have a sports car. So I get off to college, and I'm going through the whole engineering thing, and this happened in my life. I got a big detour in my life, and it's a guy named Claude. Claude was my detour, and so my last year of school, like at the end of August, Claude, his last name is Fillingham, and I've never even met Claude Fillingham. He calls me, and he says, Steve, I know your parents, and I used to be the pastor at the little bitty country church where your parents went to church, and, and a guy named Don said I should call you. And, okay, I've heard of you as his name, but I'd never met him before. And he said, Steve, I'm a pastor at this little church outside the university town here. And uh, we don't have a youth group. Would you come and help us? And, and I'm thinking to myself, no. No, I'm not going to do that. Here's the reason why I'm not going to do that. Because it's going to take away from my social life my last year. And I know it's going to be a weekend thing. And I don't have time for that. I just want to hang out with my buddies. I just want to have fun this last year. So Claude interrupted my life. And he said, Steve, here's the situation. And I said, well, okay. So I, uh, I probably prayed about it. Let's just say I did. Because... <laughs> Truth be told, I don't remember, okay, a long time ago, but I probably prayed, and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. So every Friday, I drove over to this little town where Claude was a pastor, and I, I got there Friday night, and I lived with him every weekend. Claude, his wife Anita, little eight-year-old David, and had a teenage daughter, Deborah, and, and I would then leave Sunday night. I spent every weekend, and I got paid for it, $30 a week. Rich man. <laughs> 30 bucks a week. And so, and so Claude, I stayed with Claude, and it just impacted my life. I'll give you a couple examples. One day, Claude says to me, Steve, 
You need to teach your children to obey you because if eight-year-old David learns to obey me as his earthly father, then maybe someday he'll learn to obey his heavenly father. Wow. Of course, I, I don't know anything. And I, well, I didn't know that. You know, I'm just like, I'm learning from Claude, and I stay with them. And, and Claude would mention things to me, and I, they're still ringing in my ears. And, and I can hear the things that he's saying to me. And then I get started in this youth group thing, and I don't know squat. I don't know anything. Claude goes, well, why don't you do this? I said, okay, I'll do that. And I'll go to these football games. I'll hang out with these kids. And I don't even know what to do for Sunday school. And Claude goes, well, why don't you talk about Jesus? That's a good place to start. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> We're going to talk about Jesus. And he goes, why don't you focus on the word discipleship? I said, I can do that. And so Claude just kind of coached me through every step of the way. So this is what happened toward the end of that experience and toward the end of me finishing my college degree. I began to think, I'm not sure I want to be an engineer. And this is kind of like a, the light bulb was going off and maybe there's something different for me. And I get this job offer as an engineer in 1985, $28,000 a year and a, and a car to drive to work. Oh, man. So I looked it up today, $28,000 for a college freshman, for, college, for graduating right now in today's dollars is $68,000. And I thought, wow. You know, so then I'm 22 and, I, and I'm going, oh, I'm gonna make some serious money back then, right? I'm gonna, and I get a car. It's a lousy car, but you know, I'm gonna give a car. And then I think, I'm not gonna do it. It's like this Claude's fault. It's Claude's fault because I fell in love with being a youth pastor. So I didn't know how to do that and, I, and began to apply at churches and nobody wanted a 22-year-old who didn't know anything about the Bible to be their youth pastor. So I went to seminary. Went to seminary and just learning all kinds of stuff. I didn't know how much I didn't know. I, I just didn't know anything and such an enriching experience in my life. And then during that time, it's kind of like my car got stolen. And I walked out of a classroom, my car's, I thought I parked here, I thought I parked there. And, and then I had this moment of despair. I'm going, what am I doing? I, this is terrible. Well, I should have taken that engineering job. Everything's hard right now. I regret this. I don't, I'm running out of money and just have that kind of moment that I think many of us have. But what I learned from this experience is this, that God you know, there can be these detour moments in our lives. That's, that's what I learned. That's what I learned. And we can encounter these things, but sometimes they come with despair. Sometimes when God changes the direction of your life positive, by a positive way, maybe a negative way, there can be moments of regret, despair, and just times that you just feel like this isn't where I need to be. And you kind of have these broken, these broken dreams maybe along the way. I mean, it can be as simple as this. You wanted to get married to somebody in high school. You know, that's the person for me, and then you break up. You break up. Or maybe you've gone through a divorce. There's a breakup. There, you know, and you have these moments of grief, and it didn't work out, and then finally you meet somebody else. Or you wanted to move to another city. You wanted to move to Denver, Colorado. You wanted to get a great job and ski on the weekends, but instead you're stuck in Eugene, and you work on the weekend. You know, and so there's this big detour. You thought you'd be in Denver, Colorado, but instead you're stuck in Eugene, or you wanted to go to medical school. Yeah, you got good grades, 
But then life circumstances hit, and it costs a lot of money to go to medical school, a lot of money. So instead, you went into education, became a teacher, and God changed the direction of your life. So here's our big idea today. It's going to be right here. Detours develop destiny. See, when you had a detour in your life, God, let's, I want you to have this perspective. God is developing me and developing the place where he wants me to be. Does this make sense? You have this detour in your life. You're going in this direction. And somehow it got stalled or you zigzagged, you changed direction, and this detour is developing you to where God wants you to be. You see, most of us, when we hit these detours, sometimes we just fall into despair. We begin to cry, say, man, life stinks. This is bad. I want you to think about the Bible with me for just a second. The disciples. Jesus. I mean, big detour there. Jesus said, hey, Peter, come follow me. Peter says, no, I have a fishing business. I got people who depend upon me. I got a few employees. My brother's in the fishing business with me. Oh, he can come too. Well, my cousins are in it with me too, James, and they can come too. Well, I don't know, Jesus. That's a big detour for them. Little did they know they'd be leading the movement of Jesus' followers. Little did they know. But it was a big detour. Big detour. Or one of the disciples, Matthew. I mean, he's a tax collector. He's, that's like a high-ranking government official who makes lots of money, and then he's very corrupt. That's the tax collector. Skim off money off the top. Jesus said, hey, Matthew, why don't you come and follow me? Well, I don't know, Jesus. That's a big change. But Matthew, it says in the Bible, started following Jesus. And, and because of that big detour in Matthew's life, we have the gospel of Matthew in the Bible. We have something very cool that, that, that came of it. So instead of doing their, what they were doing at the time, they started following this rabbi named Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. See, detours shape our lives. And you might be in one right now. You might be in a detour right now, but it's shaping you. It's molding your character, developing your integrity. It's what it's doing. So we started this teaching series called, called Finding Hope When Life is Miserable, and I consider it a case study in the life of a man named Joseph in the Old Testament. Now, Joseph is 17 years old when the story starts out. It's just a young man, and I just kind of this feeling that he kind of behaves like a 17-year-old. No offense to 17-year-olds in the room. I probably shouldn't have said that. So I see some in here. So he's just, he doesn't have a lot of life experience. So he makes some decisions that aren't the best. He kind of floats, he kind of does this too much, talks too much, right? And his brothers begin to hate him. And then his dad gives him this, the Bible calls it the coat of many colors. It's kind of like this. You're the youngest kid in your family. Mom and dad give you a Ferrari. The oldest kid in the family gets a tricycle. That's what's going on. And it created jealousy, and the brothers hate him, and then they hate him for sharing this dream. And Joseph's dream is that he's going to be in charge of them. He's going to be leader of the family. He's going to be in charge of a great nation as well. But Joseph is going to encounter a tremendous detour. They're going to throw him in a pit, try to kill him, but then they send him off to Egypt. That's his brother. It is a tremendous detour. Tremendous. So I'm going to walk you through that detour, and then I'm going to give you four observations about what happens when God gives us a detour in our life. So you got that? That's where we're going. We're going to look at Joseph. So we're going to look at Genesis 37, verse 12, the beginning of this detour, and 
These notes will be in your church app. Encourage you to open your Bible, follow along with me. Okay? And here's how it starts. Now, his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel, that would be his father, uh, Jacob, is the other name for him, said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, and I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he's kind of setting him up here because the brothers hate his guts, right? They're jealous of him, and there's a lot of animosity and conflict, and he, and he sends them to go find them. But here's the interesting thing about Joseph. He goes. He didn't say, Pops, you're getting older now. You know they don't like me. Don't, you know, send somebody else. But Joseph, he, he doesn't do this. So, so in verse 18, it says this. Verse 18, it says, we'll skip down. It says, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. So Joseph goes, this is about a 50-mile trip. 50 miles, he's walking probably, or got some transportation, and they see him at a distance. Maybe they see that bright, shiny coat <laughs> in, the, in the distance, you know. Maybe they see his Ferrari coming, and they get enraged, enraged. And they plotted, notice that plotted, plotted. They plotted to kill him along the way. This word plotted, it means to be in a conspiracy means to be in a conspiracy. And in fact, it means, the root word means deception. You know, they're just going to deceive him. I, I kind of picture it this way. I'm making this up. It's Joseph. Let's kill him. But then they're going to say, Joe, great to see you. Hey, glad you came to check up on us. Hey, come over here for some goat hamburger, you know. And here's some goat Gatorade. I'm sure you're thirsty, you know. Joe, why don't you sit here with us? We got kebabs on the grill here, kind of taking a break. And Joe's going, wow, they kind of like me. Not for long. Not for long, because they're deceiving him. So in verse 19, we pick up the story. He goes, and the brothers say, here comes that dreamer. They say it was an air of sarcasm, right? Verse 20, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. So Joe, let's just call him Joe. Joe's labeled a dreamer. As we say, that dreamer. Now, here's the interesting thing I think about the dreamer is simply this, that they must have believed that the dream was from God because... They know that someday they may bow down to their brother's authority, which they will in the future. So they know that's going to, so they're going to shatter this dream, and they're going to have a premeditated assassination. They're going to kill him. Then they're going to cover it up. They're going to cover this up. They're going to make up a story. They're going to lie about it. Then in verse 23, it says, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. What is a cistern? So let me help you out with this. So a cistern was a hand-dug water well, and they would collect water. It's the Middle Eastern arid place, 
and there's a rainy season, not a lot of rain, and the ground is hard, so they would catch the runoff, and they would catch her in these cisterns. And the cistern might be 10 to 20 feet deep, and they would carve it out of the rock, and then they would put a plaster on the inside to hold the water better, so the sides would be very slippery and, and slick um, to hold this water. And then they would gooseneck it at the top, so it would be kind of a small opening at the top, but, there, but then it would widen out like a bottle as well. So they're gonna throw him into that thing. So I tell you this because he has no opportunity to climb out. You know, it's gonna be straight, it's gonna be 20 feet, he can't grab, it's not like rock climbing, it's just simply not going to happen. So they throw him into this cistern. Here's what happens next, verse 25. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Galid. Their camels were loaded with spices. This is like a trucking company. If you own a bunch of camels, it's a trucking company. That's what it is, modern-day trucking company. They have balm and myrrh, and they're on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. He's our own flesh and blood. And the brothers agreed, and they said to themselves, what value in is this killing him? Let's, let's make some money off of this. Let's get something for it. I want you to listen. Listen for a minute. The brother's in the cistern. He's crying out for help. He has no water, no food. They throw him in there. And then they gather a few feet away roasting their steaks, eating their meal. They're paying no attention to the misery of their brother. And Joseph is in this pit, crying out. It says they threw him down. That's a violent term in the Hebrew language. They threw him into the pit. Can you imagine falling 10 to 20 feet, hitting the bottom of the... He's roughed up. He's half naked, probably. And then in verse 31, it says, Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine to see whether it is your son's robe. They cover it up. The minute you sin and you feel guilt, you will lie to cover it up. All through the Bible, we see this. You rebel against God, you sin against God, then you will lie to cover it up. It really is that simple as that, right? right? You have sin in your life, it leads you astray, but you don't want to admit it, you know? It's kind of like your parents and you. This happened to me. There was a curfew in my house. I know it's hard to believe, but I broke the curfew. <laughs> like a hundred times, but anyway, so, so I remember one distinct time, I was probably 17, and I got home a couple hours after curfew, I think curfew is midnight, I came home at 2 a.m., and my mother was up, she goes, where have you been? Where have you been? She was ticked. I said, there was a train at the crossing. <laughs> ha! She goes, was it 50 miles long? 
you know, good point. Just anyway, another time I was late, I said, well, I had a flat tire. And she goes, well, let's go out and see it. Whoops. <laughs> so every excuse I had for being late never went over. But you see, I sinned by disobeying my parents, and then I lied to cover it up. And when we sin against God, we sin against somebody else, our tendency is to lie to cover it up. One sin leads to a cover-up. I don't want to admit it. I don't want to come clean about that. And you know the old saying, the cover-up is often worse than the crime. But in this case with the brothers, oh man, both are equally bad. They sell Joseph off to Egypt. By the way, you got 20 shekels of silver. And in the, today, 20 shekels is just a few shekels of weight. So it's just a few dollars of silver. In that, that time, it was two years' wages. So they made some serious money selling their brother into slavery. Verse 34, it says this, then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth. That's like a gunny sack. And that was a cultural thing that they would do. And he mourned for his son for many days. And all his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold, Midianites, Ishmaelites, same group of people, sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So Jacob, the father, in his extreme grief, basically saying this, I want to die. I hurt so bad I want to die. And some of you who are listening to me, you know exactly what that feels like. You hurt so much. You grieve so much. You feel like you're in the pit of despair. You just want to die. Just want to give up. That's what Jacob is saying to us. That's what, that's what we read here. He's, he's just, he believes that, that if he would die, he could just go be with his son. Jacob just feels so awful. He has no reason to live. But we're going to see at the end of the story, he does have a reason to live. I want to give you a couple observations about detours in life. So for Joseph, he was headed toward leading this, this nation called the Jewish people. That's where God is leading him, but there's a massive detour here. He's never going to go home to Egypt again. There's, a, there's an incredible detour, and that might happen in your life. You have a detour for your goal. Maybe your goals change. Maybe the direction of your entire life changes. How are we going to perceive that? I'm going to give you a couple observations. Number one is simply this. There's just simply no, no advanced warning. I mean, God didn't say to Joseph, hey, I just want you to know that when you go to visit your brothers, they're going to throw you in a pit and then sell you into slavery and never come on home again. I just want to give you a heads up. God doesn't do that. Right? Hey, Joseph, at noon on Thursday, you're going to take a little change here and by the way, you should take your Swiss army knife with you. You might need it. <laughs> no, God doesn't, doesn't do that. God doesn't do that to you either. He doesn't say, hey, in seven weeks, this is going to happen. Just simply no advanced warning. It's not going to happen in your life. Some difficult change is there. You're in despair. And you say, man, if, I, if only I would have known. But God says, I didn't want you to know ahead of time. Because you would have, well, taken a different course of action. Because God develops you in the moment, in the, in the instant of that moment. God is all wise. He is developing. Your detour can come at any moment. You get, Monday you go into work, 
and they say, sorry, I gotta lay off. That's a massive detour. Or how about this, you're dating someone and they dump you. Yeah, your girlfriend dumps you, your boyfriend dumps you. You didn't see it coming. Usually no advanced warning. I don't wanna see you anymore. In fact, it's usually a text message now, right? I don't wanna see you anymore. It's over, right? Or the doctor says this to you, you got cancer. That's hard. It's hard. Or you're in a car crash. Changes your life. Or you go through, you know, it's crazy odds, but you go through a pandemic. Right? Just crazy. But you get no advanced warning when it comes to detours. But there's a reason for that, because God is developing your integrity. God is developing your faith. Here's the second thing that happens, I think, when it comes to detours. Sometimes it's caused by the sinful actions of others. So sometimes we think of these detours like, well, this happened, and in Joseph's case, the external detour was the sinful actions of of his brothers as well. They sin against him. They sell him into slavery. And for some of you, that's a shock to your system. For some of you, when you think that your life will be altered by the sinful actions, the abusive, hurtful actions of other people, are people really capable of this kind of evil? Are people really capable of this? I was reading a sermon. I I read lots of things. I was reading a sermon by Martin Luther King, actually. And Dr. King, I could, you know, it's one of those funny things. I read the entire sermon and I I could hear his voice booming. He's such a great orator. And he talks about the gospel is for the brokenhearted. Well, that was very interesting. And he talked about the backstory of the sermon was he had just been stabbed by a woman who had schizophrenia at a book signing. And, And she went on to be in a mental hospital, I think, the rest of her life. But... But King mentions how because of the stabbing, he became good friends with somebody else and developed a relationship in New York City with Cornerstone Baptist Church and, and is very instrumental. And it's like, I was reading and I went, oh, he had a detour. He got stabbed in the, at a book signing. And because of that, it developed something very incredible in his ministry. Psalm, a uh, verse in the psalm says, it's better to trust God than to trust people. And to that, we need to say amen. <laughs> amen. You need to trust Jesus more than people because sometimes people have evil actions. The drunk driver who hits a car, a vindictive boss who hurts you as well, someone abused you and hurt you deeply, Someone sexually assaulted you. Unfortunately, as a pastor, and for all these years, I've heard many horrendous stories. Somebody asked me one day, how come you don't have PTS? You've heard so many things. And I said, well, I I don't experience those like the people sharing them to me. I'm the secondary person. I just get to hear them. And often, I hear those stories when people are removed by months or even years from the event itself. But you know, sometimes we hit a detour because of the evil of someone else. God didn't cause that evil, but God will use it in your life. 
Here's the third thing I've observed just when it comes to, comes to these detours and it's that you get stripped of your status and dignity. All of Joseph's life, he's probably been, he's got this coat of many colors. It's a status symbol. It's, it's an incredible thing in his life. It's very important to him. And then they're going to strip it off of him. And to make it matters worse, they're going to shred it into pieces. And then they're going to put it in a bunch of blood. And then obviously they're going to lie. I think sometimes the detours that we face in life are due to the things that we hold most valuable that we've almost put on a pedestal or an idol, and God is going to strip us of those things because we need to grow. So maybe something that's incredible and important to you, a coat of many colors, or, or this aspect of your life is so important to you that you've elevated above Jesus, and that will be somehow chiseled away in your life, however that, that might be. So the question is, what in your life must go? Now, listen to me. Wouldn't it make more sense that you think that through now and deal with it now? Wouldn't it make more sense? Hey, you'd be thinking, what is it that needs to go now in my life? What am I holding on to? Am I trusting in rather than trusting in Jesus? Is it your job, your bank account, or relationship? Are you counting on something? But God is at work because maybe those things are producing greed or selfishness in your life. Or maybe... Maybe you're not concerned with other people, with the poor, or with people who are hurting. You're not concerned with others. Yeah. When they took his robe, it was a sign of humiliation. Have you ever been humiliated? Kind of that deep humiliation that can happen in somebody's life. I one time met with a doctor who was a surgeon, and he lost his hospital rights, and he could no longer be a surgeon. There was a series of surgeries that didn't go well, and the hospital shut down his credentials to be there, and then it hit the newspapers. And then he was sued. It was so public, and he was in such despair. And it was almost like a humiliation happened in his life. He went on and tried to practice different kinds of medicine, but it was never the same. He just cried in my office. Or I think of a football coach who gets fired very public, or a public official who gets tarnished on social media, or the parent that I met that is never allowed to coach a kid sports team again with his kids because he's got an anger problem, and it's very public. What do you do? What do you do in those cases? Well, I think one thing that when we're in the pit of despair, in the middle of a detour, when it's not going well, we take a long, hard look at ourselves. You know, look at yourself in the mirror. What is my life like? What needs to go? I'm going through this severe, difficult detour in my life. What am I supposed to do? It's a great time to say, hey, what's the reality of the situation? What is my character like? What, what do I need to learn about my integrity as well? What really needs to change in my life? What needs to change in your life? See, I have a hunch that most of you, if you went home today, instead of watching the Super Bowl, we know the Chiefs are going to win. But anyway, instead of, instead of, you know, you spend some time reflecting. That's my point. You spend some time reflecting. 
really needs to change in my life. Don't wait till you get in the pit of despair. Do some evaluations. Think that through a little bit. What brought you into this situation? Sometimes when you're in the middle of a despair moment, a detour, you really need to ask yourself the question, what role did I play in that? Did I say something I shouldn't have? Did I do, take an action that caused this? What is my role in this? And take responsibility. Take responsibility for those things. What's going on here? The second thing to do is take a long, hard look at the situation you're in. What's really happening here? Is God involved in this detour? What's next in my life? This seems to be going haywire. God is chiseling it away, but what is next in my life? And that's where patience plays into it. Because it may take months or years for God to really give you a sense of what's going on in that very moment as well. Joseph, no doubt, looked at himself. He thought, did I do something wrong? Why am I in this pit? Why did my brothers do this to me? I'm sure he sat in that pit wondering all of those things. Why? What did I do? All of those things. What can I do to learn from these lessons? I'll give you the fourth one. Here's the fourth thing I, I am, is that we experience intense feelings of despair. Joseph in the bottom of this pit, I can hear the thud. Have you ever heard people fall? Boom. No water, no food. They're all eating and carrying around above him. He cries out, pleading for his life. There's no indication. It doesn't say this in the Bible. It doesn't say Joseph prayed, but I think he did. I'm just assuming he did. You've heard the old saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. And all of a sudden, you're in the midst of something that's awful, and you shoot up, oh, God, help me. I don't believe in you, God, but help me. Maybe that's Joseph. He prays. I wonder what he's praying. Lord, kill my brothers and send down a rope? I don't know what he's praying. Lord, bail me out. Help me. Lord, you said in that dream, I would be the leader of a great nation. It doesn't look true. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Lord, help me. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Where are you, God? Can you just imagine Joseph in the bottom of that pit, 20 feet up? That's like for me to the top of the ceiling here. And you don't see any way out. You physically do not see a way out. They're going to kill you. You'll never come back to your home. And Joseph never came back to his home. He's thinking that my life is over. Bam! The emotional distress of that. He gets some temporary relief. They get him out of the pit. They give him some water so he looks better, sell him for more money, right? Off he goes. Off he goes. And we can have those kind of intense despair moments when your car gets stolen, when a relationship ends, when you're depressed. Lord, when will I stop being depressed? I don't even want to get out of bed. I can hardly function. I'm tired of this in my life. And boom, you're in the pit. Hard, hard times. And you can't escape. You can't escape the boss who you don't like, the family member who's driving you bonkers and nuts, 
a spouse that doesn't respond to you, the pit can be so many things. It can be so many things. And it comes with extreme, extreme uh, emotional distress. I say that not because of the story. I say that because I've lived it. Extreme emotional distress. A number of years ago, I had the opportunity to go to the, uh, to take a tour of Israel. It was fantastic. And on that tour, we went to the to uh, the archaeological ruins of Caiaphas, the high priest, during the time of Jesus. And in the Gospels, it says that Jesus was taken to the home of Caiaphas for one of the, we're going to call them the trials of Jesus. In the home of Caiaphas, they had a, a prison cell. So naturally, they would have thrown, the Bible doesn't say this, but I think it's a pretty good conclusion that they would have thrown him into this jail. You know, he's under arrest. But it's not a jail that you walk in and close the doors. You know what the jail was? A pit, a cistern. And they would have put him in the bottom of that pit. So we got to go into that pit. How cool is that? And when you're in the pit, you read a verse from Psalm 88, verse 6, which says, you have put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. So I want you to think about Jesus for a moment. There's another pit, the pit of death, the pit of despair, the pit of awfulness. Jesus was crucified on a Friday and thrown into a tomb, placed into a tomb, better wording. I've been in that tomb as well. It's a small six by eight little square, and there they laid Jesus. Death could not hold him. He came back to life. That's the good news. That's the great news. So the very Jesus that we believe in, the very Jesus that we trust in, the very Jesus that we follow is the same Jesus who's been through emotional despair as well. The Garden of Gethsemane, he sweated drops of blood. He grieved over his own people that he desperately loved, who, who were the same people who took him outside the city and crucified him dead. Jesus grieved that people rejected him. Jesus understands the emotional distress that you feel right now because he was a human being just like you and me. So in the pit of despair, you might say, Lord, I am in this lowest, darkest place. But here's the good news. We need to remember Jesus. Because he is the one who guides us out. You're on a detour in life, and what do you do? What do you do on your phone? You got your map out, and all of a sudden it tells you there's a there's a detour ahead. Go this way. And in the back of your mind, going, no, I'm going to stay here in traffic. It's three hours, but I'll wait it out. Of course, your little phone app is telling you, you know, if you turn and get off this exit ramp and go this way, even though it looks like you're going backwards, it's only going to take you 31 minutes. And you're thinking, so that's not true. I'm going to sit here on a belt line, which is now a parking lot. I'm just going to sit here. No. Jesus is whispering to you right now. Right now. He said, it's okay. I got this one. 
And when Joseph is in the bottom of that pit, maybe God whispered in his ear, I got this one. And in the moment of your detour right now, you're disappointed, your hopes, your dreams, where you went to college, your career, your family life, relationships. And Jesus is the one who whispers to you, I got this one. That's why today we're going to take communion, because I want us to remember that. So everyone here, I think you have this little communion thing under your chair. You should have one. It's just under your chair. Okay, because these are weird, I'm going to coach you through on how to open them. <laughs> just the way it is. And if you're home today, go grab your own communion stuff. I mean, you say, I don't have, I don't have communion stuff. Well, you can at least get a glass of water, you know. I've had communion under a banana tree of Diet Coke. I think you can do it with water and crackers at the house, okay? So you can grab this, and we're just going to... There's two layers of cellophane, so take the first one off, and you have this delicious wafer. <laughs> I guess we can kind of put our mask down to do There's no other way to do this, right? So we're going to do it together. We're going to do it together. Let me remind you what communion is all about. Remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus. Both. So when Jesus was with his disciples and he'd already given them big detours all, all along the way, he's saying to them, here, take this bread and eat it. Remember my body, which is broken for you. So we're remembering the cross. Let's eat together remembering the cross. And then if you take the second cellophane off and try not to spill your stuff. And this is remembering our forgiveness, but the incredible thing about this is it's actually a statement about the future. Jesus says, I won't drink this last bit of wine with you until I see you again in the kingdom. And what's the guarantee of the promise? I'm going to see you again in the kingdom. So it's looking future, the resurrection, forgiveness of sin. So let's drink remembering Jesus. You can just hang on to those cups and I think uh, you can just toss them when you leave today. Just hang on to those. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for the story of Joseph and how we can learn that you take us during the moments of deep despair in the pit, that you can work with us. That something incredible can happen, that you're developing our destiny. Lord, I just pray today that we as a church, during incredible detours, can be reaching our destiny as a group of people. Jesus, you're awesome. Thank you for being faithful during the detours that we face. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.